Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Oh, get off your high horse, Gavin. The average British guy gets blown over in a stiff breeze. You all have lead weights in your shoes. Yes. The following podcast contains... You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you, uh, when you force the fat kid who you knew damn well couldn't do one pull-up to try anyway, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 429, the President Called Me a Lardass edition of the show, where we talk about the ritual humiliation of taking the presidential fitness test. Stay tuned. What the hell were you thinking podcast is brought to you by the Flint Rock Chewable Yabba Gabba Zoom Diet Pill for Kids. Is your child a chubby little slub who's growing out of their hefty sized jeans faster than they can wear out the knees? Are they instead of running around and playing, waddling and watching TV? Are you worried that baby fat is just going to turn into plain old fat? Then Flint Rock Yabba Gabba Zoom Chewable Diet Pills are the answer to your worries. Coming in grape, cherry, watermelon, and apple flavors, and in the shapes of your favorite classic Flint Rock cartoon characters, our twice-daily appetite suppressant is guaranteed to reduce your little lardo's appetite and give them the energy to run those pounds off. You'll be amazed how much pep is in your kid's step as they burn calories and shed pounds. And if they're a little wound up when it comes down time for bed, then you can ease them down with a Flint Rock Dino Downer at the end of the night. Flintlock's Yabba Gabba Zoom and Dino Downers. Start your kids off right for life in America. Start them off with diet pills and antidepressants. A California high school has the well-nigh perfect answer to the president's call for physical fitness. Stan Laprati, physical education director at La Sierra High School, has developed a program that assures every student of physical excellence. Exercise on the grip swing puts muscles on the least athletic. Extension push-ups are among the toughest of the drills. As an incentive to excel, the color of the shorts the boys wear is determined by their ratings on performance charts. Some requirements for top ratings are stricter than for Annapolis plebes. A lad who has mastered the pegboard will find a military obstacle course a snap. 200 schools across the country have adopted La Sierra's program of 15-minute daily competitive exercise. On a hot day, they wet down the wrestling mats for sliding. The boys at La Sierra are learning that it's not only good sense to get toughened up, it's fun. It might come as a bit of a surprise, but I was not an athletic child. No. No, not in the least. I was a chubby baby, a chubby toddler, a chubby little boy, and a chubby teenager. Damn lard ass. I grew out of it for a few years, towards my late teens and in my 20s when I got my growth spurt. But that didn't make me any fonder of physical exercise. Because you're too fat and you're too lazy. 
I guess I was an active kid in grade school. I mean, I played like kickball and climbed the monkeys bars and shit. And I pretended to be on Star Trek with some cardboard phasers that I that I traced on tracing paper and cut out of the back of an old notebook. Fascinating. And a lot of kids got into playing some kind of sports by the time they were eight or nine. You know, we played baseball and stuff. Not like today when you play soccer or lacrosse or catch the crotch. I don't know what the fuck kids are doing today. But you see, team sports cost a little thing called money. And at that time in my life, my family didn't so much have any money. Because you're fat and a poor. I don't recall ever wanting to play Little League, which is a good thing, because it just was never going to fucking happen. And also, the Ottawa City School District did not have what one could call a robust athletic program, even at the high school level. So there wasn't much of a motivation for the youngest students to be groomed into hyper-competitive future sex offenders with organized intramural sports. You had to go to the county schools for that kind of program. And so by the time we did move to a place where athletics were a thing, I'd already formed some, you know, sedentary habits. You can imagine my shock when I was forced to attend gym class every day. And in that gym class, I was expected to exercise every goddamn day. On Tubby, Tubby. Far, far worse than that was when they wanted me to take my clothes off. I was being asked all the time. Hey, Jello Mold, why aren't you in your gym clothes? No, no, that's not how that works, sir. I was raised to believe that showing others my naked flesh was an affront to Lord God Almighty and that no one should see my pale pallid form until the night I consummated my marriage with a girl just as terrified to be seen naked as I was. This, as you can imagine, caused some consternation because my parents just pretended like they never fucking said that and I had made the whole thing up. Why am I telling you this sad, sad story? Well, because this week's topic is the presidential physical fitness test that traumatized generations of chunky kids and has remained nightmare fuel for everyone who couldn't even do one pull-up. pussy. If you want to know why the president made you do sit-ups in sixth grade, you have to go back to WW2 when a generation of brave American boys geared up to fight the treacherous Japanese and save England's bacon from the Nazis. You see, the greatest generation were a strong, sexy, and a generation of soul-crushing poverty had carved the young men of America into lithe slabs of rippling flesh, whose jawlines were chiseled from hunger, and the veins on their arms stood out whenever they Flexed. Maybe they were lifting bales of hay to keep the livestock alive, or maybe they were hoisting up their Model T with one hand just to change those skinny tires. Young men whose washboard abs were diamond-cut hard lines into their torsos whenever they oh, took off their shirts to plow. Glistening with sweat, they would lean back and wipe away the slick, hot perspiration from their brows as they stared into the harsh sunshine of the Dust Bowl in the way that just shouted, Fuck me, daddy. And that's how we were able to keep the world safe for capitalism, by being so incredibly fuckable. And then, the war was over, and all those fuckable young men came home where they, uh, We fuck like rabbits. And like rabbits, they had a lot of children. And we call those children the baby boomers. Now these children... They were born into a time of extraordinary prosperity. 
everyone had more food than they could ever possibly eat. Oh, really? Everyone? Well, well not, not, not everyone, but, you know, everyone that mattered. Uh, you mean, like, white people? Well, I don't mean that, but, yeah, that, that's what they meant. And because America's young people, particularly young men, were not plowing fields or laboring in a coal mine, at least the white ones, they began to get a little soft around the edges. And flabby. At the same time, over in the Soviet Union, still struggling with the after-effects of carrying the massive burden of winning the Second World War, there was a lot of hunger and deprivation, and that made young Soviet men strong like bull. So in the early 1950s, Dr. Dr. Hans Kraus and Dr. Sonja Weber, who probably, maybe, hopefully, didn't commit crimes against humanity in a Nazi concentration camp. Ah, uh, yeah, completely respectable. Developed the Minimum Muscular Fitness Test, a test that would later go on to bear their names. Quoting now from Wikipedia, quote, One of their experiments involved conducting the fitness test on 4,000 children on the East Coast, which showed that 56.6% of children between the ages of 6 and 16 failed the test. The high rate of failure alarmed the doctors and spurred them to question whether the findings were dependent on location. Dr. Kraus enlarged the experiment, testing 3,000 rural, urban, and suburban children in Italy, Switzerland, and Austria with the help of fitness activist Bonnie Prudden. On average, they found that only 8.2 children, European children failed the test. From their results, Dr. Kraus and Dr. Weber concluded that despite American children's high standard of living, they lacked sufficient exercise to keep them at the minimum level of muscular fitness, unquote. Now this, as you might imagine, posed a problem. How could America ever hope to stand up to the godless commies if her pool of potential soldiers were little more than disgusting fat body? I mean, if your soldiers are all soft lumps of lazy flesh addicted to television and TV dinners, they could never compete with the fuckability of the Ruskies. And it was clear to Herr Dr. Kraus and Herr Dr. Weber that there needed to be some sort of final solution to the fat problem in America. They said that? Well, well... Not that specifically, but they said something along those lines. Quoting now from a Sports Illustrated article from 1955. Quote, We are paying the price of progress, says Dr. Krauss, who stated the case in a somewhat different terms. The older generation was tougher because it had to go adequate physical activity in the normal routine of living. We have no wish to change the standard of living by trying to do away with the automobile and television, but we must make sure to make up for this loss with physical activity. In other words, we let's take this thing out of the benefits. Then they were these facts were presented to Dwight D. Eisenhower. And after hearing the report on the nation's youngsters at the White House luncheon, President Eisenhower was moved to recall some thoughts of his own. During World War II, when he was a five-star general, the nation was facing the greatest crisis of its history. Men were never more needed to serve America's cause, but the president recalled that more than 50% of them were unable to serve because they were physically unfit, unquote. Apparently, starvation and deprivation did not make the American GIs into sexy fuck machines. Come on, we all know it did. So in 1956, he created the President's Council on Youth Fitness. It mandated via executive order a national standard for physical fitness to be evaluated in schools. The test would be in seven parts. Pull-up for boys, modified pull-up for girls, sit-ups, a shuttle run, standing broad jump, 50-yard dash, a softball throw for distance, and finally a 600-yard walk run. Children would be evaluated every year between 5th and 12th grade. There was no penalty for not being able to do the test, at least 
Not officially, no one was going to jail, but the kids who did well would be awarded tokens of recognition. This piece of paper right here. Now, I would never imply anything when I say that those standards were just slightly lower than the standards I had to pass to graduate basic training in the military and all of that is probably just a coincidence. Now, by the time JFK came to the office, the test was in full swing. But between fucking starlets and almost getting the country into a nuclear war, JFK found some time to weigh in on the sad state of American youth, stating in a, in a uh, article he had also written, quote, Era, the harsh fact of the matter is that there's an increasingly large number of young Americans who are neglecting their bodies, especially the girls. You get a little flabby there, girls. He didn't say that. I just made that up. Whose uh, physical sit fitness is what not what it should be. While getting soft, and such softness on the part of the individual citizen can help strip and destroy the vitality of a nation. Now, uh, come on over here and sit on daddy's lap, unquote. I made that last part up, too. It was LBJ when he had time between showing people his hog leg of a penis that he called Jumbo and escalating the needless deaths of tens of thousands of young American men to introduce the tangible rewards to the top 85% of athletic achievers, which is where those... Stupid fucking patches come from. Jimmy Carter took some time off from having people wear a sweater if they were cold. You think I'm going to say bad shit about Jimmy Carter? You know that's never going to happen. To expand the distance on the run and to remove the softball throw because he understood that throwing a softball is fuck all like throwing a hand grenade. I have thrown a hand grenade. And I tell you true, you have every reason in the world to want to throw that stupid fucking thing as far from you as you possibly can because... And I... Cannot possibly stress this enough. It explodes. And you want that to happen very, very, very far away from where you personally are. I threw that motherfucker like a major league outfielder trying to get a player out at home when his cutoff man was out of position. See, I know sports. And our old friend Ronald Reagan. Ah, ah, he said it. He said it. Expanded the number and kind of awards that top performing children receive for being measurably better than their chubby loser classmates. Suffice to say, I never received a patch with the Gipper's name on it. And it was George H.W. Bush who achieved the, con the pinnacle of condescension and pandering to the youth of America when he appointed a youth fitness ambassador to the nation in the form of the fittest man in America who was born in Austria. None other than Arnold. As a parent, I appreciate the importance of education, but I also appreciate the value of teaching our children good fitness habits. With all that proven benefit of regular exercise, you can see why physical education is so important to their future. Our children need healthy hearts to grow into healthy adults. So let's be sure that they grow up smart and fit. And if you're still not convinced, I'll be back. This was after my time in school, so I never got to enjoy a gym teacher shouting something like, Get to the chopper! as I gasped and wheezed my way through the mile run. If you are a young person or just younger than 50, you're probably curious as to what it was like to take the president's fitness test. Well, starting in about fifth grade, twice a year, your gym teacher, who was a large man with a flat top haircut, a deep hatred for fatties and slackers, and a chain smoker, or a large lesbian who looked like she lifted weights for East Germany in the Olympics, they would gather all the kids together for the test. On that day, you started with the pull-ups. Now, 
if you're a fitness bup, you probably think, oh, pull up. That's a slightly challenging exercise where you lift your entire body weight using your chest and arms until your chin is even with a bar about eight or nine feet off the ground. Sounds simple. Yeah, sure, if you routinely lift heavy shit using only your chest and arms, but no, I was taught that you lift with your fucking legs so you don't destroy your back. So, guess what? I couldn't, I didn't have the muscle strength to lift my fucking fat ass up that far. And I would just dangle from the bar, holding on until veins popped out from my forehead, and I began to get tunnel vision while never moving one iota towards that bar, and the fucking chain-smoking gym teacher would encourage me by saying little things like, Boy, you really are pathetic, aren't you? And after you reached his predetermined level of humiliation, you would be excused to walk past the boys in the class who played sports and were about to give you wedgies. Then came the sit-ups. Now, almost anyone could do one sit-up, but if you happen to carry a little extra around the waist, they start getting rough at about 10. And as you struggle, the kid holding your feet who was supposed to be helping you would help you via a stream of things like yeah, piggy, piggy, piggy. until you flop back down at 11 and gave the fuck up. Then came the shuttle run. Two lines, 30 feet apart, and someone would put some stupid shit at the end of each one of them that you had to pick up and then run back to the other line. This was not particularly physically challenging, but it was timed. And I don't know if you've ever, ever had to run back and forth for no fucking reason carrying a dodgeball a dozen times while a lesbian weightlifter shouted at you in German. Schnell, schnell, schnell. But it can get a little grating. Next came the standing broad jump. How often in your daily life as a child or as an adult have you needed to jump from a standstill any measurable distance, even if you had to like leap over a puddle or something? You know, if you had to leap over a puddle of slush, you could just run up to it and get a little distance, but no, no. You had to stand there, bend at your knees and launch yourself forward as far as possible. You know, maybe if mountain crevasses were something I dealt with in my day-to-day -day life, I might fucking be good at this. But in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, mountain crevasses weren't a fucking thing. So the truth is, it was all I could do to not just fall on my fucking face. Not to say that that didn't happen a time or two. And meanwhile, the other kids would just stand around and... When they point and laugh and whisper. Moving on, we had the 50-yard dash. Now... I know. This doesn't seem like a lot. It's half a football field. But I'll tell you what. You and your friend go down to the local high school. You stand at the end zone and then send your friend down to the 50-yard line. Using your normal tone of voice, ask your friend what time it is. What does that prove? They can't fucking hear you because they are standing 150 feet away and you have to shout for them to hear you. If you have to shout for someone to hear you, by definition, they are far the fuck away. 50-yard dashes are easy to do if you're an NFL running back, not so much if you're a tubby 10-year-old. And by the time I took my first chain test, the softball throw was gone, but I, <laughs> I sucked at softball, so I wouldn't have been very good at it anyway. But you know, at least I didn't have to fucking embarrass myself by dropping the softball six inches in the dirt in front of my feet. And then finally, there was the walk, run, one mile. I mean, technically, you could walk that mile, but the flat top sadist allegedly teaching your physical fitness would never stand for that. No, he would inspire you 
by having a couple of the class bullies chase you for a mile around the track. Oh, he wouldn't call it chasing, but they were right behind you telling what they were going to do if, <laughs> to you if you weren't running as fast as you could. So, well, yeah, I guess, I guess I was inspired to run. Now, some of you might be thinking, Jesus Christ, Dave. This was 40 fucking years ago. You were a fat kid. But, you know, some of us didn't mind the test, to which I say, fucking liar. Oh, everyone hated the fucking test. I called just some of the following comments from an article on SB Nation, a website for and about sports. These are people who like sports, people who even think of themselves as jocks, and they hated the fucking test. Quote, So, uh, I was partnered with a girl I had a crush on for like two years for the sit-up portion. She did hers first and did like 75. I went next, and I did around 20. I was tomato red in the face, sweating buckets and panting like a dog in a sauna on the sun. My partner asked me, do you have asthma? To which I managed to stammer out, no. She then looks me straight in the eye and tells me, wow, um, you might need to lay off the burritos and run some, okay? With a disgusted look on her face. I got flashbacks to the horror. The first year we had to do it was fifth grade. I was not fat nor skinny, but kind of normal. However, that normal was really just being out of shape as fuck. Thus, when it came time to do as many sit-ups as possible in a minute, I did nine. Nine in 60 seconds. It was horrible. I'm 40 years old and I still refuse to do pull-ups outside the comfort of my own home because the embarrassment of doing those damn tests every year in front of everyone. I couldn't pass it, not the running anyway. After everyone else had passed, the PE teacher would try to motivate me by forcing all of them to sit in lines on the ground and watch me struggle for several days. It was pure hell every single semester. All the other kids were pissed because they wanted to run and play games during PE and the teacher wouldn't let them because she wanted them to shame me into trying harder. One of my classmates who was overweight missed the day in gym class where you had 60 seconds or whatever to do as many sit-ups as possible. So the next day in gym class, they forced him to do sit-ups while the entire class watched him from the other side of the gym. And of course, he did maybe five. And of course, the gym teacher was a complete jerk about it, embarrassing the poor guy to no end. And that's the moment where you realize what a joke this gym teacher and the presidential fitness test is was. I failed it hard in third grade the first time I took it. And when I failed, my PE teacher belittled me for it in front of the other kids in class unquote that sounds awful i took my last pft in eighth or ninth grade i don't fucking remember because it was around that time that i took my last gym class somewhere in the myriad school transfers that dotted my entire educational career i magically obtained the sufficient pe credits to graduate at the school district where i finally graduated I often wonder if my dad didn't bribe someone or forge some kind of records because my dad wasn't a fitness guy either. No matter what, I was absolved of the need to compete for the president's approval right up until the time I enlisted and had to start doing that shit all over again. And the test? Yeah, 
It was becoming increasingly pointless as we moved out of Cold War paranoia and people were noticing that all it was doing was brutalizing a generation of kids and not at all inspiring them to become physically fit. Quoting from an NPR story in 2014, quote, Joanna Faber has taught physical education at Louisiana State University Lab School for more than 25 years. And she remembers participating in the President's Challenge in grade school. The pull-ups, she says, prevented her from getting the award. By the mid-1970s, Faber says the physical fitness education community began talking about the negative impact of the test, a debate that spanned multiple presidential administrations. The council had that conversation over and over again during my tenure, says Sandra Polmuter, the executive director of the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition under President Clinton. Polmuter doesn't have fond memories of the test either and was hoping to make the changes when she took the post in 1993. But change was hard because there were so many players involved, unquote. Starting with the Clinton administration, the test became less competitive and more focused on long-term goals. And even George W. Bush realized that tormenting kids is kind of a lousy fucking way to motivate them. It would be none other than Barack Hussein Obama that finally killed the PFT. Of course it was. More from NPR, quote, in 2012, the Presidential Physical Fitness Test was replaced by the Presidential Youth Fitness Program. The new program is more than just a fitness test. It is a teaching tool to help students understand fitness and develop habits they can use to get healthier. There is an assessment component called the Fitness Gram. It maintains elements of the original test with an updated methodology based on current physical education research. The largest shift in its end game, which changed from beating other students to being personally active and healthy. Students no longer run a timed mile. Instead, they do a pacer test, an assessment that measures how long a student can keep a run run pace. This shift allows slower runners to finish first, not last. And the new assessment also adjusts the way cut-ups, a.k.a. sit-ups, are done. Fitnessgram, to be filled out online, generates student reports and allows teachers and students to establish short and long-term fitness goals, unquote. There is a good argument to be made that Americans are not doing super great in the health realm. I mean, all you got to do is take a look around. We are pretty fucking fat. A Pentagon study found that 77% of age eligible Americans are not qualified for military service due to weight, mental illness, or a history of drug use. That's a lot. Although, perhaps just perhaps judging a society on whether or not it's fit enough to go and fight a war for capitalism might not be the best metric to judge where we are as a society. I mean, hey, if we did get into a war, we could just draft all those guys wearing camo and red hats. I mean, they've already got the AR-15s, and if they're not too fucking fat to fight a federal law enforcement officer on the steps of the Capitol, then they're not too fucking fat to fight the fucking Chinese. Sorry, I get a little worked up there. I had. Okay, I have some issues with my body. This is probably why I got involved with an eating disorder group in college. It was never that I wanted to fuck the sick, sad girls. Relax. That's what they jokingly call themselves, even though I did kind of want to have sex with some of them. Most of them. I was never one of those kids who wanted to be running or jumping or throwing or committing a sexual assault at the party after the big football game. I liked reading and, you know, thinking. 
I was never going to be the kid who got big into exercise. I did the bare minimum to get by in the military because this was just a continuation of the same hazing bullshit I experienced in grade school from my shitty gym teachers. And oh yeah, I know I have made a ton of self-deprecating fat jokes all through this show because that is what us fat folk do. At least those of us who think we're funny. We make the joke before you do. You know, because we're trying to head that off of the past before you call us a fat ass. Or, hey, sometimes you guys do worse. You come to us with that look of sincere concern on your faces. Fumble your way around until you get the point of expressing your deeply felt and entirely well-meaning concern about our weight. We're worried about you. All of this bullshit is tied into eating disorders. It's what makes fucking young girls fucking have eating disorders. And But you know what? You know what? At least someone in, a cover, in recovery from an eating disorder will never come up to you and say something like, Have you heard about these new drugs that can really help, they say? Of course we've heard about them. We fucking see them on the gut. They're blasted in our face every fucking day on the news. And if they weren't there, then one of our well-meaning friends will certainly post about them and tag us on social media. Or maybe they'll just shoot a text about us fucking fat ass. Well, thanks, Janet. Thanks for reminding me that for a mere thousand dollars a goddamn month, I could reshape my body in a marginal way to better conform to what you and society think I ought to look like. I mean, it isn't like every time that I go to a doctor for any minor health issue, <laughs> I don't get it from the doctor. Well, you know, you would be a lot better off if you lost some weight. Yeah, no shit, bro. I fucking sprained my ankle. Could you fix that shit? I didn't sprain my ankle because I was sprinting there to McDonald's for a double quarter pounder with fucking cheese. God damn it. Every health issue we have is because we lack self-control or motivation to fundamentally redesign our beings to conform to an expectation that is entirely unrealistic and frankly, fucking cruel. It isn't like we haven't heard our shortcomings listed our entire lives, starting in goddamn grade school with a flat-top asshole and an angry German lesbian calling us marshmallow because our bodies aren't naturally good at running 50 yards really fucking fast. So yeah, we make the jokes to head off that same condescension from you, our presumed friends, to keep you from bringing up whatever wag-wego fat-fuck drugs that cost half my fucking monthly paycheck. And hey, thanks again, Janet. If I bought the fucking wego fat-fuck drugs, I would certainly lose weight because at a thousand goddamn dollars a fucking month, I wouldn't have money to buy food. So, hey, thanks for the tip. Sorry. Sorry if I hurt your feelings by calling out the fact that some of you want to tell me what I should do with my goddamn body. Because it just seems that a lot of you would get really fucking angry if I told you what to do with yours. All I'm saying is this might have been different for all of us if at the start the focus was on simple shit you could do that could possibly benefit your health teaching you how to make good choices in what you were eating. But hey, we could never do that because Frosted fucking Lucky Charms was magically fucking paying the fucking bribes to the goddamn congressman. You know, we don't want to do anything that's going to tell people not to eat sugary shit every goddamn day on motherfucking television. I don't know. Individual exercise like walking or biking might become a regular part of my life. And if someone would be like, 
hey, you know, you don't have to fucking play team sports. You can just go out and take a long goddamn walk. Maybe you'd enjoy being around that. But no, no, we got to line us up like a firing squad for fucking dodgeball games. How the fuck is getting hit in the face with a red rubber ball going to make me physically fit? If gym class was more about finding ways to make you like being physically active instead of finding ways to shame you in the sh- <laughs> shame you because you are a slower, less athletic kid, maybe, maybe I would have a healthier attitude towards diet and exercise. But you know what we got instead? We got, well, corporate-sponsored fucking food programs that shovel shit down our gullets every fucking day, and and we got cruelty and segregation between the kids who were naturally gifted and people who weren't. Having some fucking Cold War paranoia program 50 fucking plus years training kids to be good little soldiers for the Dow Chemical Corporation maybe wasn't the best way to teach kids anything, and maybe, just maybe, Instead of brainwashing generations of children to fight for the, for the God country and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, we could have taught them to at least maybe a little like themselves for who they are. And maybe if they liked themselves, they would want to take care of their bodies instead of bullying them into being little jarheads for the state. And this dumb country might not be full of fat fucks that it is right now. The problem is there was never any money in making Americans healthier you got to keep the stock price up on the health insurance companies. And if you if you made them healthier, then fewer people would rack up massive fucking medical debt that they would spend their abbreviated lives trying to pay off. But hey, at least, at least some kids got a patch in sixth fucking grade. Huh. I guess I'm still carrying a little bit of anger about this issue. I might be better, but I I should have paid more attention at the students ending eating disturbances meetings that I went to instead of trying to impress the girl hoping they'd sleep with me. That is it for the show this week. We are back after our little Thanksgiving break. I hope everyone enjoyed their turkey day. I know I did. Gavin's still grumbling about having to pay for his turkey day dinner, but come on, man, it was four bucks. We're wrapping up 2023. We have some fun stuff in the hopper. Jared and I are going to head to Dallas for Christmas karaoke. And we've got a What the Hell movie night classic. And maybe, just maybe, Santa will put a little something under the tree for Christmas Day. Or hey, maybe I'll just make Gavin head into the studio on Christmas Eve and do another clip show. Now, speaking of bitter resentment, rate, review the show wherever you find us so others can find us and feel that same sting of bitter resentment that you had when you first listened to us. If you want to kick us a dollar for stocking stuffers, head over to patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast and, you know, give us a little something. We'll give you milk and cookies. We don't give you milk and cookies. Do all of the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing. Otherwise, he will stand behind me and yell in my ear about how I can't even do one take without breaking into giggles. And so for me, Dave, I'm saying all the things that I know you'll like, making good conversation. I got to handle you right. You know what I mean. Bledsoe, producer. I took you to an intimate restaurant, then to a suggestive movie. There's nothing left to talk about unless it's horizontal. Let's get physical. Oh, my God. This is filthy. Gavin and all the fictional presidential fitness pros on this show, we want to say, let us hear your body talk. Your body talk. And we'll see you all next week.
What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Just one pull-up. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.